All right. Welcome, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we have today Rebel Strike and Daedalus joining me again. And if you're wondering where their cameras are at, so am I. So am I. They will be identified by very insignificant speckles up in the top right, as you can see right there. Um, right there is Daedalus. Right there. And right there is Rebel Strike. And this is a result of what happens when one of the shy cam guys doesn't have their camera on. <coughs> Rebel Strike. Um, anyway... So today's episode 14 of the SimCast is entitled, or titled, Birthright. Um, we're going to be discussing some of the races, uh, some of the different things such as uh, racial augments, speculation about the influence of races on the nodes, and some of the facts and stuff and things that could be found on the wiki that I discussed last week. Um, we're, we're kind of following up and continuing through to work through the information as we are closing into Alpha 1. Uh, so... Again, if you're uh, if you have a problem with the fact that you can't see them, they only have themselves to blame. So please, when I at the very end say, "Hey, here's where you can find them," feel free to go and hound them there. Also, if I look strange to you, it's because I'm wearing some uh, interesting glasses to reduce the color on the screen. I know, totally important information for you guys today. So now I'm gonna go through really quickly. And I'm just going to outline, for the sake of conversation, uh, the races. And I'm going to do it by primary race. And then kind of split that. Uh, I'm going to basically go through it. I'm going to go through and use the same, which I'm going to show on the screen. It's going to be the image that we've seen so often. Um, it was on the Kickstarter. gave the ident identifying uh information for each of the races now each race uh, this is my understanding is each of the races are basically split right so we i feel like the best way for me to explain this and i'm going to ask for some clarification from you guys but you have the ala humans if i'm saying it right the pyrian elves the kyvek orcs the mm, gonna jack this up dunzenkel dwarves and then for each of these races, you have them split. And my understanding, real quick, gentlemen, is that this split uh, in into two kind of like subtypes or sub races of the primary race occurred due to the exodus from Vera. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right to me, Sam. And so we have for the Ayla humans, we have the Kalar and the Kalar. Uh, their description says, build, order, civilization. These are the foundational principles of the Kalar. Their empire is the old world, spanned the largest of all. In the old world, spanned the largest of all. And they plan to do the same in this world. Extremely loyal to their roots, the Kalar will rise to the challenge. All right, the secondary subrace for the Ayla humans is the Veloon. Their description is, trade, law, and hardship. The Veloon were forged in the heat of the desert and came out anew. Through focusing on trade, the Veloon became one of the wealthiest empires in the land. They're no stranger to the idea of kill or be killed, whether it be the beasts in the harsh desert or the snakes in the market square. So here's, here's where I'm, when I look at those two descriptions, this is kind of where my mind goes on the matter. So I'd, I'd love to hear some of your ideas 
um, about maybe even some speculation as to your thoughts about um, what we could see identi be identifying characteristics that might expand beyond this description. So the Kalar almost seemed like imperialistic, whereas the Veiloon almost seemed nomadic. What do you guys think about that? What are some of your thoughts about the two? I might take a stab at that. So yeah, I, I totally see that. Um, I think Kalar, when I, you know, and, and this may be some of it Stephen might have said and some of it I might be projecting, so I apologize mm -hmm. if this is not totally accurate, but um, Kalar, I think, are more your European kind of Anglo-Saxon types, and I kind of get potentially almost like a Roman vibe, but not necessarily in terms of their look, but almost in terms of their structure. Um, and like Veloon, I see more, like you said, you know, we're, I think at some point the team mentioned something about Veloon being more Middle Eastern influence. So I mm -hmm. can totally get the nomadic, uh, side of it. And I think that's where I think the Middle Eastern culture, probably in terms of look and field, probably influencing the Veloon more than I think the Roman influenced the Kalar. And I think it's going to, what we think of more traditional humans might be the Kalar and Veloon might, you know, be, you know, more exotic, if you will. Um, so that's kind of where I see the split between the two culturally. That's very interesting you said that because I kind of feel the same way. Um, I believe the Kalar is more like the the uh, the Roman Empire. Um, in my mind, though, the Veloon may have split off from the original empire, um, which is the Kalar. I believe they're like either your exiles or your um, like maybe maybe you would say bandits um, from the. <clears throat> From maybe the original empire, which is the Kalar, um, and that in it when they, you know, like kind of like how it brings out like uh, the in the heat of the desert. I feel like those are more your outcasts um, that created their own type of civilization within hardship. Yeah, that, that see, I actually feel the vibe both of you said, and you know, so and I'm I'm you know being Middle Eastern myself, I I can see some of the identifying characteristics on here. And um, being Persian, I you know we're the white Middle Easterns, right? As as a lot of times people say, not that that matters, but right. in that context, when I think about uh, just white races in general, um, you have like the Kalar, which do seem more European, maybe um, I don't know Anglo-Saxon esque, maybe mm -hmm. uh, with a bit of a Roman kind of feel, an imperialistic feel to it. I also kind of got that idea from. Elder Scrolls Online, not even Elder Scrolls Online, just the Elder Scrolls series in general. I've always been kind of enjoyed the Imperial because they've always had that kind of order, structure, civilization. Their their city, you know, the the city in uh, Bolivian uh, uh, Imperial City was always just you know the prettiest city. Even even now, you see that um, very well organized. Um, but then I see this, and I'm yeah, also kind of getting that like trader barter kind of maybe split off. Uh, and defiant in some way, perhaps. Um, so yeah, I can see a lot of that. And so, and you know, this is trade, law, hardship. You know, build order, civilization. Um, I can see how some of those uh, values probably could have. You know, it, you can kind of see them intertwine, right? 
trade, law, hardship, build, order, civilization. The hardship being, you know, that they've had it a little bit tougher, been more nomadic, perhaps. Uh, so we're going to talk now about the Pyrian elves. <clears throat> and this is one that I think, I think I'm going to wait to make the statement because I want to see if it comes out from one of our guests here, or po possibly both. So Empyrean. Uh, imperial, which is ironic, right? Imperial, pride, and culture. Though not as numerous as the Kalar, so you see that comparison there. Not as numerous as the Kalar, the Empyreans are a force to be reckoned with. Elite military forces and a highly structured government. The people of Imperia uh, surely have a plan to carve their place in the world. And then, is it Pyre or Pyri? I think it's uh, Pyri or Pyre, sorry. Pyre, yeah. So here we hear, we see the description of nature, balance, fury. All things come to balance in time, and nature, your nature, always has her way. Don't let their love for nature fool you, though. The Pyre or Pyre rarely take prisoners. Whether it is by bow or spear, the Pyre's legacy will take root. So, what are some of your? You know, like, let me. So, I, I see the imperialism. So, I feel like the Kalar and the Empyrean have some pretty pretty close parallels uh, because you hear imperial, you hear pride culture. Um, then I start to see that. That almost reminds me of a Middle Eastern influence a little bit too. Like I think about Persian culture and empire uh, in the past, and there you had a lot of pride and culture, um, a lot of the kind of maybe the arts and things like that. Um, but but in, in context of the races in general, they aren't as – they don't have as many. There's not as numerous of a balance of, of this race, it seems like. It seems like the Kalar is probably the dominant of the races. Um but when I look between the Empyrean and the Pyri, uh, nature balance, this gives me, I don't know. I, I look at this and I think, well, maybe Empyrean doesn't really seem very blood elf from WoW to me. Uh, the Pyri definitely feels uh, night elfish to me. Um, and so I'm looking at those two and the balance between these two types of elves and even the emblems for the two, uh, you kind of see the Pyri have more of a, almost looks wood elf or uh, just woody kind of nature in general where the imperium has more of a regal nature to it what are some of your ideas guys on on the two races maybe some other descriptions you can come up with or speculate well i mean the one thing that i'd have to say the what we've seen the most of in terms of conceptual art and actual models has been imperian right. and i I definitely feel like this is going to be, you know, the classic almost, you know, a Marame combination that um, Stephen talks about. And it's really influenced by Eastern cultures. Um, I definitely see kind of that influence in terms of the style. It seems a lot more um, honestly like, you know, it, there's that empire feel to it. So I think of like, you know, a, a jade empire. That's kind of what I see in the architecture that we've seen. And also in some of the, you know, the visuals with the armors, et cetera. You kind of see a lot of uses of gold, um, a lot of flair, which is something that I kind of think of when I think of the Asian type of cultures, um, representation in games and games we've seen in the past. The one thing that I thought was really interesting is the counterpoint to that. Um, 
for the Pyri was at some point, I believe Stephen mentioned that this was more culturally influenced by a Native American type of culture. So, um, and I don't know, I mean, I definitely see that there's like a, a focus on nature and I see them kind of embodying, you know, the, the power of nature. So I kind of get that, that this might be a little more tribal than say the Empyrean, which I kind of see as an interesting combination versus, you know, the Kalar and the Veloon seem like they're maybe more homogenous, though one took a more of a trade type of focus versus, you know, a civilization or, you know, manifest destiny type of focus. Mm -hmm. This feels like one is more, um, I don't know, again, focused on kind of some regal kind of city building, kind of expanding their empire, whereas the others are more about protecting nature and making sure that civilization doesn't overwhelm nature that you're kind of working together. So that's kind of how I feel in general when I think of a Native American culture. They have more respect for the earth than, say, cultures that want to conquer and expand their empire. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I think Imperium, I think of high elves from World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. I think of the ones that you see in Legion, and uh, they're very, very. They've got a very large city. They're very sophisticated. They've got, you know, your, your, um, just equipped with the best weapons that they can they can craft, and they're they're very, they're just very sophisticated, large cities, and all of that in general. Um, when I think of Pyra, uh, Pyri, right, Pyri. Mm-hmm. I think of more shamanistic, more tribal. Um, some, uh, just like you said, like the night elves. I believe they're definitely more in tune with the nature uh, of things, and they they allow that nature. They work with that nature to uh, overcome, you know, their uh, their environment and overcome their threats that may threaten their civilization. Um, but I believe them to be, like I said, a lot more tribal. They're more spaced out. They don't need large cities. Um, they depend on nature to provide for them. So uh, that's pretty much my take on the the elves themselves. Um, and I really do I really do feel that way when I look at uh, uh, Imperium or yeah, yeah, Imperian, Imperian elves being like high elves from World of Warcraft. Yeah, and you know, the other part too is that it was nature and balance, which we really hit on. And you know, I even believe that the, uh, if I remember from way back in the day, I believe the work during, uh, let's say Warcraft, but during the early World of Warcraft days, I feel like I remember they did reference that the that night, the night elves were influenced by Native American culture as well, which was a big part of the reason that you saw so much of, of them, um, you know, not nomadic, but just being in tune with nature in a lot of the ways that you would have seen some of the, the native Americans uh, have been tied into their belief system about nature and things. And he also says on there, they rarely take prisoners fury. So I also think of, I see a very warrior, probably a very warrior um, mentality, or at least possibly sect within that, that, that race of elves. So this is where I'm going to butcher some language probably coming up here in the next two. Is it the Renkai orcs? We have the Kavek orcs. So they have the Renkai and the Vek. And so Kavek, Kavek orcs. 
which this is pretty cool because sometimes you see orcs as being portrayed like, wow, they just tend to be pretty stupid uh, grunts. Um, this is a this is a far cry from that, uh, however. So the Renkai honor, power, and tranquility. Through staying centered, their power only grows. The Renkai believe in ultimate focus and controlling their immense power. When the Renkai becomes enraged, though, there aren't many men or beasts who can live and tell the tale. So I see that berserk almost kind of thing there that you see sometimes with a lot of the orcs. And the Renkai being, you know, more likely the, the primary uh where the Vec split off, and the Vec are described as celestial purpose and fate. When one stargazes, they find what beauty lies beyond our world. When the Vec stargaze, they find what fate lies beyond our time. Star maps, numerology, and prophecy are integral parts of each Vec's life. Great leaders read the heavens for how, how wars will go, which empires will rise and fall, and the Vec often ask themselves, are we too late? And so when I see this, the Renkai and the Vec, I see one that's focusing on just honor and power and strength and honor, and I see the other, the Vec, who is focusing on almost like the mind and expanding themselves, uh, looking at things. They're almost a philosophical nature that might have philosophical part of the, the race that might have split off and kind of looked at, towards the higher power and the celestial, uh, often pondering philosophically some of the meaning and, and some of the some of the elements that maybe lie in the future. So I can see them as being seers, um, people that are possibly called upon by leaders for uh, you know, for their, their mind, their thoughts. Um, and so that's what I see when I look at those. I'm also wondering if the VEC possibly are going to have a strong foothold in um, possibly like these, these mage towers, celestial sort of elements we've seen very slightly and vaguely um, shared in Asha so far. What are some of your guys' thoughts on the two orc races? Raul, did you want to take a shot at this first? Sure. Um, the, 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 Kin, <laughs> I don't want to butcher it either. The Renkai? The Renkai, right? Okay, yes. so the Renkai, I think, uh, are being more, I would say, a more very, like, defensive race. Like like you said in, in the description, they stay centered. But in, if you poke the beehive, you're going to get stung. It's pretty much how I kind of look at that um, that particular sub-race uh, um, in general. Now, the vet to me seems a lot more an ancestral. They're in tune with their ancestors. They're also in tune with, um, with the with astronomy, which is a lot like a like a very different aspect when you think of orcs, because orcs you think of yes, you have the seers, but that's more in tune with the ancestors and the and um, who the history of their ancestors and who came before them and the, their learning and they speak to their ancestors and stuff like that. But astronomy for orcs is something that I think takes a new aspect here that I've never really seen before in previous MMOs. So that will be very interesting moving forward in my, uh, my mind and opinion. I would say for me, um, again, I, I try to go back to what I recall and hopefully this is accurate 
from what the developers have said, just to kind of get a feel for how each of these races will play out. And I, I thought, um, and again, I guess I will get corrected in the comments if, if I'm wrong here, but I thought the Renkai were more influenced, um, by like a Japanese type of culture. And I can totally see that, um, in terms of like a samurai being really controlled, but at the same time, when they just get amped up, they're charging into battle and they're just tearing people up. Um, so I kind of see that as kind of a, a race of balance between controlling their rage and focusing their rage. So um, I'm hoping that they kind of go that route because I, I think it would be really cool to see kind of a samurai type of orc. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus the fact that I think one of the things in their description talked about honor. Um, so I, I think, you know, Japanese culture, from what little I know, um, is, real, you know, especially in the kind of ancient Japanese culture, has always been focused on honor and doing right by honor. Um, so I think that that makes total sense. Um Based on what I've seen on the conceptual art and some of the cosmetics, I would probably say that the Vec would be more of a Mayan type of feel. Um, and and I kind of see that tribal piece of it and tribal and mysticism. So a lot of what you guys are saying, you know, makes sense to me is that you're going to want something that's more Mayan Aztec type um, because those, um, you know, had some level of astrology assigned to them um, in terms of, you know, their evolution um i'm not sure how much it's going to rely on kind of more of that darker side of those cultures which had a lot to do with sacrifice mm-hmm. human sacrifice to you know as well but i don't know if that's going to play into there um but it would be interesting to see how this plays out with the science part of it it's kind of like science mysticism because i you know, see astrology is that combination of using the signs and the stars. That's more of the science side of it mm-hmm. to divine the future, which is more the mystic side of it. So yeah, this, these two in other games, I probably would have ignored an orc race kind of right. from the get go, mm-hmm. but these cultures and the influences kind of make me want to really see how these play out. You know, that was the word I was looking for too, with the Vec earlier was mysticism. Uh, and that was the one I was trying to, I was trying to, I was trying to find the right word and it was always escaping me. But yeah, when I look down at the bottom, they often, often ask themselves, are we too late? That totally makes me feel like that Mayan, like, cause I keep thinking like, you know, when people talk about how the, the Mayan, uh, civilization died out, you know, that the question that a lot of people probably would have associated with that would have been, are we too late? Um, so the Renkai, though, yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool idea, and I do remember that. I always remember thinking Bushido because of the whole honor, uh, kind of controlled honor and power sort of uh, idea that comes in with Bushido for the Japanese uh, samurais. Mm-hmm. So the Dunir and the <laughs> Nikwa, the Dunzenel Dun Dunzenkel dwarves. God, did I get that right? Dunes and Caldors. So we've got the Dunir and yeah, the Nikwa. I'm going to say Nikwa until someone corrects me. Um, someone who actually knows what they're talking about corrects me. Um, so the, the Dunir, boy, out of all of these, the largest description. 
and they're described as stoic tradition forge so there's our traditional forge masters right the dwarven forge masters most of the people from the old world would see a mountain and think nothing of it the dunir saw saw a defensible home where riches abound the dunir take immense pride in what they can't or sorry what they craft and what they build fortifications that seem impregnable warhammers that are never that never break or beautiful gems of for their uh, for their royalty are all in their repertoire. Don't be deceived by their stout stature. They are pound for pound the strongest warriors the world has ever known. The Nikwa. Family, freedom, courage. Where the Dunir saw mountains as home, the Nikwa saw it as a prison. How could they complete the great hunt inside a cave? The craft of their brothers doesn't elude them though they too are highly skilled artisans instead of jewelry for nobles the nikwas see crafting as a rite of passage and the advancement of family will says will you progress your people from the mountains of your ancestors so these are the these these almost seem to be the ones who when you think of a lot of times when i think of the the dwarven empires and different I think Lord of the Rings and different um, different games, different stories, uh, different different um, plots and stuff that we've seen in different uh, capacities. Uh, the Dunir strike me as the the traditional in the forge of the mountain, in the heart of the mountain, where we store all of our you know the impenetrable, uh, impregnable rather fortresses uh, built into mountains, and we know in the story Dilla, Dilly's diary. Um, that we've seen in the blog from uh, the Ashes team that the Dunir met uh, a pretty horrible fate and the mountain did not, did not protect them in the long run. The Nikwa seemed like the individuals who sought to venture out from what felt like a prison. And it even says here, saw it as a prison. These are the ones who maybe instead of focusing on the building nature, um, maybe even saw, you know, this is maybe where we see a culture of caravans and trade, um, really focusing on being really skilled at their craft, artisans, people that, you know, are possibly even maybe we see as being the best crafters. We don't we don't know how that's going to turn out yet. Maybe there's going to be some racial perk to the Nikwa. I don't know. Um, but they were all about that, the trade and their um, their craft. Um, so what are some of your thoughts, gentlemen, on, on the Denier and the Nikwa? I mean, I see the Denier as your traditional Lord of the Ring dwarves. I mean, you've got mountain dwellers that are kind of, you know, essentially forged by their, you know, their skill um, in terms of artisanship. So I can definitely see, again, traditions influencing this, um, you know, from you know, uh, what, what the team has kind of talked about and what we've seen so far with this race. Um, you know, I see them as maybe the more, um, I don't want to say gaudy cause that's not the right word, but kind of using kind of more jewels, shiny objects type of thing with their artisanship than say the Nikwa, mm -hmm. um, which I hope I'm not butchering that name either. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I kind of see these guys as traditional, kind of you know, mountain dwelling dwarves that we've seen in other games. Um, 
and I think what what impresses me the most about what they've done here is actually just trying to create their own um, version of dwarves by using these tribal dwarves. And I, I think at some point Stephen mentioned something about them being influenced by Polynesian culture, which I thought was at first really crazy, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. But now I kind of think it's kind of cool. And again, it's one of those things where you pause, you take a moment, you say, it might actually be pretty cool to play a race like that. And it's, again, turned me on and away from my traditional human-slash-elf type of characters. I would definitely consider, you know, at least just playing around with the character creator and creating a one of these dwarves. Um, I kind of see the, in contrast to the Denier, kind of focusing on crafting, I kind of see the Nikua in a way more focused on the hunt. So I think the way I would essentially split up the cultures in terms of their artisanship would be more maybe, you know, metal based type of things for the Dunir hammers, you know, kind of really um, powerful blunt weapons. And I kind of see the Nikua as more subtle and maybe more, you know, spear-like weapons, things that would assist them in hunting and dispatching what they hunt quickly. I don't know if I would go so far as to say, like, bows and arrows, per se, but I definitely feel like, you know, slingshots or spears or pole arms, something of that nature, they would kind of focus on that, and as opposed to, you know, something that's more traditional, quote-unquote, dwarf. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is an interesting one. I'd like to see more of this. And we've been able to see some of the housing, which is cool. Um, I'd be interested to see, uh, you know, somebody brought up in the chat a few days back what weather effects actually kind of come into play with the, how the structure of the housing is for the Nikua. If they're always going to be in areas or reside in areas where it's always kind of a warmer climate, mm -hmm. and how do they deal with harsh elements? How is um intrepid gonna make that work right yeah you did uh for the nikwa you definitely hit on exactly what i was thinking about um that i was when i when i thought of how to how to kind of compare the two and how to distinguish the two apart um i definitely thought hunter or or something or you know um something something other than what you can learn inside of a mountain you know what I mean? Right. Or, or maybe, um, like, let's say you're born into the Dun uh, the, the Dunir. You're born into the Dunir, and you're like, wow, is this all life is? Is it all about, you know, the grime and all this right. dirt, and there, you can't breathe? And, Ford, you know, yeah. uh, the, and there's another option out there for you as a, as a Dunir uh, also. Um, and so, like, let's say, you know, you were born into that, and you're like, wow, is this all the world – all the world I get to see, and then you realize, hey, there's there's another race out there that are just like me, but wanderers and adventurers and people who wanted to take um, take their civilization beyond the mountain. Um, and that's definitely what I see between the Dunir and the Nikwa. I see the Dunir being the forgers, like it says, you know, just like 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 Daedalus was saying, straight um, straight Lord of the Rings type of. Uh, type of uh, dwarves there so um 
but yeah, distinguishing those two apart, I really, really, really do um, see the Nikwa being more of a more hunter um, and also trade because they've got to make it outside uh, in the world. And um, in order to do that, you have to you have to have some crafting skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, it it's interesting, too, because as I hear you both talk about this and I hear um, you talk about, you know, getting out like. You know, we talked about really right in the beginning in the description I gave, you know, they felt like maybe it was a prison, um, like they were stuck. You know, it's almost like they they just they wanted to see the world and not just the the dark, the dark mountain cave that they all dwelled in for who, however long. And it's interesting because they listen said, you know, seeing spears. And if you look at their emblem for their race, as opposed to the Dunir, the Dunir have this circular emblem with hammers it's very fortified looking much like their fortresses in the mountain and then the nikwa is very open i mean you see this almost like a bush or what you know seems like a vase holding uh some sort of a a plant and then you see nothing but these spears coming out the top multiple spears come out the top so i could see not being such a like archery sort of driven thing but more of like the spears i could totally get that lighter Maybe less fortified, but still very highly crafted and skilled. Um, and, it, you know, and it's totally interesting to me because to go back on something Daedalus said, this is, you know, when I see Kalar and Veloon and I see the Imperium and the Pyri, like I've seen in games especially, and even in, in lore for stories such as Lord of the Rings, like you see the the elves, right, um, with their, what's it called? Um, oh my gosh. In the... Uh, the place in the mountain or the hidden hidden realm of the elves before they ventured away. You guys, um, you mean Lord of the Rings? You mean yes. What is that called? Uh, Was it Rivendell? Yes, thank you, Rivendell. So you see Rivendell, and then you had the wood elf type, right? The elves that were more like in the woods of the woods. So you've seen these like divisions, right, between uh, empires and and kind of no like no not nomadic, but just those that ventured out and beyond and changed. I'm wondering how much, and before I say this, to completely finish what I said, the orcs and the dwarves to me are, I'm the most intrigued about. And it doesn't even mean that I'm necessarily going to play one, but I am really intrigued because never before have I ever seen when a race splits or has a division of any kind, there being such a change, a, a drastic shift in 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 what identifies them like i see with the orcs and the dwarves and i, I would agree that, with that yeah and i find that very compelling i'm so interested in their lore and and for me to say that i'm really interested in an orc and a dwarf's lore that's a pretty big statement coming from me because i'm usually just kind of like meh dwarves get it orcs get it right on okay now i'm going okay don't get it i want to know i want to know more about this so i'm i'm from a lore perspective and just from my own perspective of interest and intrigue. I'm so curious to see how this evolved, what the story looked like, how they came to be this way. My question to you all is real quick without me even knowing, uh, and we're about to dig into the wiki a little bit and some of the time we have left, but do you, how, how much do you all think now I'm not talking in costume or design, but in actual racial appearance and form how much do you think that each of these two 
uh, sex of the primary race, how much do you think they're going to look different, like, over the time this past? Because we don't know exactly how long. I don't know if these changes had begun because of the exodus away from Vera um, to, to um, Sanctus, or if this was something that potentially happened later on or it was during that break. But how much of that change do you think has impacted their actual form? Like, I'm wondering if they've evolved differently. 2,000 years is a long time. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Revel? I mean, I'll, I'll let you take a stab at it because I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where I stand here yet. <laughs> so where I stand is I think that uh, it depends on which... Um, to me, it depends on which specific uh race you're talking about now the elves i think those are going to be those are going to be the type of uh race that's actually going to um have a less dramatic shift because they're because they're elves um i think they're going to probably look a little different but not so much now humans it, it gives you the description right here you've got one that's city dwelling and then you've got one that's in the heat of the freaking desert mm -hmm. okay yeah so that's 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 a given um, your orcs, that again, I don't think is going to have a dramatic shift in difference because you can you can take you can take um, these descriptions and that doesn't really give you a setting or a place. But the dwarves and the humans, the dwarves, that that again is a different scene in their description. So I think the humans and the dwarves are going to be the more dramatic um, of the. Uh, of the appearances when it comes to the sub races and the elves and the orcs are going to be less. Right on. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and, and I kind of go back to the racial influences, you know, that the team have been using. I mean, I definitely agree that humans are going to have drastic differences, right? I think the environment is going to necessitate that, that, you know, just as we know, right. more of the kind of the desert dwelling cultures tend to have darker skin mm -hmm. as options. So I would say that to me totally makes sense. I think you're going to kind of get the same thing, I want to say, with the elves too, because you're Empyrean, you're city dwelling. I think, again, Asian cultures you know, generally having lighter skin, mm -hmm. but then Native Americans not necessarily having lighter skin. So I kind of see that influencing it. I mean, in addition to the armors themselves and based on what materials they have at their disposal, um, I kind of see that same type of, you know, jungle versus um, mountain, you know, difference for the dwarves. Um, and the orcs, I just expect that they're going to have different skin color just because you want to have something that differentiates it um you know differentiates the culture a little bit more i'm hoping that they do um give you a lot of options with the orcs um more so than maybe you know just a variant of the elves look which we've kind of seen maybe some concept art in terms of the model um, you know, based on, I think it was, was it last month? I think they did something where, um, you know, they had some sort of face mask and they had like, it was a gray box type of face and the ears looked kind of orcish to me. Yeah. I'm just hoping that you have an option. And again, not that I would choose it, right. Cause 
I'll be honest, I like pretty characters. Um, <laughs> but I would hope that they have those options to do more kind of monstrous orc for um. those people in the community that want to go like want to go full orc right, right? um I, I just like that idea um i think wow does it to an extent granted it's more cartoony but mm. I, I i want you know you to be able to have like big powerful jaws and you know fangs that you can kind of mess with a bit um i think those would be great options not only um just to be able to see and you know, people of all types of play be able to do, but also your, you know, your role-playing community would mm-hmm. love the crap out of that, mm-hmm. um, for sure. So I, I think they're going to, just based on at least my perception of their art direction, is they're going to want to really play up these cultural influences. And the one thing that makes my heart hurt a little is that we haven't seen some of the other art yet. I know it's happening. I know they're working on it, but I kind of want to get to a point where at least I have an idea of what these other cultures, how much of their kind of their base, you know, real world culture gets played into it with a fantasy twist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering about that too. And when we talked about, as we've discussed, the races and and potentially them having evolved speaking of evolution we've forgotten one race haven't we oh yeah or or tolnar right which is by description i'm going off the wiki here tolnar is the only race with the capability to adjust racial appearance in a significant manner i don't know what significance is described by says the tolnar race does not have subtypes it is this is our one race that's playable, right? That is different. It says players will have dials to adjust reptilian, mammalian, humanoid, and other attributes of their Tolnar character in the character creator. Um, and it says here, Tolnar do not equal furies, or furries, rather, which is the, uh, if you know what a furry is, it's that big, animal costumes that you see. So it's not going to, they're not, I'm assuming by that description, we're saying they're not going to be cartoony looking um, or I don't know what the word would best be, but it says they are, there are bestial components can be scaled up when creating a Tolnar character. And Steven, here's a quote, Tolnar do not equal furries, but there are definitely some bestial components that you can scale up. When you're creating your Tolnar character, so you could max that setting, I guess. Whether or not that would give you what you would think of as a furry, I guess it's going to be up to your interpretation of what a furry is. And these basically the 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 origin of the Tolnar is these are this is the race that has is a combination of three other different races that were left behind on Vera. Um, and the Tolnar stands for the Forgotten, where we're discussing a little bit about them. They are not restricted to the Underrealm, but to keep in mind that when you are in the Underrealm in Ashes, recognize that that is their domain. That is where they fled to during the the corruption that he befell on Vera. When that corruption uh, caused everyone else to leave, they fled under, into the Underrealm. And so that's where their evolution took place. Now, um, Tolnar race will be in place before Alpha 2. So that, of a year, I'm going to say a year, within the next year, uh, ideally we'll, we'll mo- more than likely see them. Um, they're going to be very bestial. 
Um, I think this is, you know, when I've seen a lot of other MMOs, um, especially Eastern MMOs, uh, usually you do, you'll see like those cat like type people. Um, and I feel like when we see this, this race, that's probably, I'm not going to say where that came from, but I'm, I feel like there, there had to be some level of influence into creating the Tolnar and having them in the story. I like that. It's not just, Hey, we're there a race of cat people or something. I like that. There's like, Hey, these are the ones that stayed behind. These are the ones that fled. They went, they, they got stuck. They got in the wrong direction they got stuck here and they had to figure out a way to survive and that caused them to, to change, you know, 2000 years is a long time. Um, but before I go on too far, uh, actually let me go into Tolnar appearance real quick. And then I just want to get some of your feedback about them after I've described this a bit. It says Tolnar is the only race with the capability to adjust racial appearance in a significant manner. Tolnar races not have subtypes. Instead, players will be able to customize the appearance of the Tolnar characters. So instead of there being, you know, uh, when you talk, we talk about the races, like instead of there being a Renkai or a Vec orc, you know, you're going to have, it's just the Tolnar and that sets them aside because they don't have, you don't go left or right here. You've, you've got them and you change how they appear. Um, so when we're talking about their appearance, oh, wrong one, apologies. Uh, when we talk about their appearance. Uh, we talked about how they're very bestial. Um, the starting area for them does not involve a divine gateway. So this is also going to set them aside significantly. Whereas the other races are going to more than likely be coming from a divine gateway. The Tolnar will not, they are already here. So I find that extremely intriguing, like how that story is going to play out for them. Right. Um, and before I really go any further than that, I just wanted to get your all's ideas on the Tolnar. Like maybe your, I described him as he's even Steven said, these are, you know, could potentially be your furries, but they're not furries. You can adjust them so maybe they have a furry-esque appearance. Um, but I can, I, I see, when I, when I think of the Tolnar, I think of, you know, tells maybe somewhere between lizard and cat people. What are some of your guys' thoughts on the Tolnar? Yeah, I would probably say agree that there's going to be options to kind of hit all different, types of animals i mean i would say within reason of course right um i mean i think you know cat-like lizard-like wolf-like i mean i think you're gonna kind of get those options there and agree it's may not necessarily you know you might not get you know your classic furries i guess mm -hmm. i mean i'm okay with that right. um <laughs> to Me be too. honest one of my, and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe get, you know, people might riot on this, but I know one of my least favorite races in World of Warcraft is actually the Worgen. I just think the design is terrible. So I'm just hoping that we don't get something that kind of, you know, you could end up creating something like that. I mean, I want to, um, I want kind of to really be able to kind of play and build a race that, um, has some level of realism to them versus kind of almost exaggerated cartoon-like features. So I'm, again, I'm, I'm hoping there's some, you know, good level of customization that doesn't necessarily allow um, something that just looks, you know, really just messed up, right? Mm -hmm. a, a la Mass Effect Andromeda levels of, you know, you know, levels of crap um as far as uh as far as like the idea of being able to significantly change their appearance i'm hoping that that on that spectrum 
that you know selfishly that the other races get some level of um you know customization not maybe necessarily in the same way but at least you have a lot of different options to play with sliders etc for the current races that said with Tulnar I just I agree I think they I'm hoping they kind of take it to a level where you can still make something unique and still call yourself a Tulnar without kind of going outlandish overboard knowing that this is high fantasy um so yeah I, I I mean I think this is again one of those interesting races where you know there isn't really a cultural reference so I kind of you know, I'm a little lost in terms of how um, I envision this race looking other than just what I know of other games that have done kind of animalistic type of races. Some of the concept art that they've shown has shown, like you said, there's there was concept art with tails, without tails. They had kind of more combinations of qualities, um, you know, like lizard-like, etc. The only thing that they didn't, I thought they said somewhere... Stephen might have said that they're not looking to kind of play up any insect type of race, which I am actually really okay with. Me too. As well. <laughs> but uh, what do, what are your thoughts, Revel? My thoughts are I see the Tonar being more like a shape shifting chameleon type uh, of a, of a race. Um, they've had to adapt not just over two thousand years. They've had to adapt longer, have they not? They've been here. Uh, longer than that they're the original race mm -hmm. so they're a race that had to uh, adapt they had to um, adjust to their environment a lot more than these other races have had to so I when I when when it said gives me the description of reptilian that's the first thing I think of is a shape-shifting chameleon type um, type of creature that has intelligence and it's just adapting to its environment and with having that intelligence it also is able to uh, be uh, a race of um, the world so that's just kind of my take on it yeah i don't know if are they described as the original race because i don't know if that's are we talking about original race like original the... to the to the the plant the planet that they're now on correct i don't know if they were were they original or were they are we talking about i don't know that they were actually considered the original i thought that they were kind of a uh, amalgam of sorts of uh kind of the other races and and and, and like more of the bestial races i think i'm not really too well, sure I, I it's worth completely off like uh, it's something to research i i was under the yeah, impression it's, it's different that, but that yeah, definitely we need some more background on the uh, the race itself. Yeah, because I feel like the wiki's pretty accurate, and I'm looking and I'm looking, and I'm not seeing anything about them being the original race. So I'm kind of curious. Um, I'm kind of curious whether there was some significance in that regard, whether they there was you know some kind of core feature to them that was maybe primary, way way back. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I mean it's possible. I guess the only thing that we could maybe say is they were to that point, they were kind of the, the natives, right. They were part of one of the right. native races. Again, For I think sure. 
and I, one of the Tolnar experts in the community that listens to this podcast will probably correct us here, but right. but I think they they kind of evolved from the other races, and maybe there was a handful of each race that got left behind, and then there was some, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, crossbreeding. Right. Um, and like you said, two thousand years is a long time, so environmental impacts too could have come into play. But yeah, I I. I I agree. It feels like, I mean, I would say they're one of the original dwellers to your point rebel. Cause that, cause they were left behind. So right. they were part of the, all the races were there, but they were the ones that kind of, you know, are the natives. So right. that, in that sense, I agree. I do too. Cause for, yeah, for the sense of the return, they are absolutely the natives. I mean, hands down. So I'm, I'm curious. So if there is a Tolnar expert out there, an expert, I mean, you can cite some resources or, you know, cite some information for us to help us to verify that, then by all means, please contribute because I'm curious and I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit well, in some of the time we've got left here in the next, you know, 10 minutes or so. Um, races are not gender or class locked. Okay, good. I hate that, by the way, in games where it's like, oh, you can play this class, but by the way, it's only female or only male. And you're like, what the hell? Can't stand that. Um so stat growth, we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, stat growth and abilities here. So they are, there are, uh, they are specifying that there will be racial abilities. So from our past craft episodes, which both of you were here for, uh, that also goes okay from a theory crafting perspective. How does that play into everything? They're they're also specifying stat growth and racial, excuse me, racial augments. So. Stat growth. Stat growth proceeds in the following order. One, the race seeds a player's base stat. So what I hear is, depending on the race, you will have an increase or a significant gain in some area of your base stats, which are going to carry over to in-game. Two, the primary archetype grows the base stats. So then choosing or how you combine that race base stat with your class is going to determine how that archetype, for example, cleric, is going to grow. So if we have one that has, uh, we have a race, whatever, we'll say the Vec or something, right? Celestials. They have an increase in, we'll say, intellect. Um, Then by choosing, clearly choosing a race, or not race, sorry, a class or archetype that is going to use intellect, you would, it would be a very positive choice from a theorycrafter perspective if you're trying to min-max. And it says a secondary archetype class further grows the stats. So what I'm hearing here is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I'm hearing here is there's going to be at least a race or a handful, a couple, two to three potentially, of races which are probably going to be the the best for specific archetype and even secondary archetype. Does that sound correct to you all? That makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like a logical right but um <laughs> but yeah yeah i'm like so i hear that so this is this is kind of a this is kind of a point of might be concerned for some people because if i don't if i want to play uh you know a caster type character but you're telling me i have to be a vec orc for example um that might be a problem for me if i want to play you know a freaking imperial or something not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying I can see people having a problem with this. I know that I it might if I wanted to play, you know. But it says here that this isn't going to 
It says this isn't going to be enforced, right? So you're not going to have to play it, but I'm also thinking of myself from as a theory crafter. Well, but you're not going to be min-maxing at, at the best possible, your best possible um, benefit if you don't. Um, then we got racial augments. Another thing that's, you know, really, I don't know if it's been discussed a lot. Racial augments are based on a character's race and are available to each class. These apply to a character's primary archetype. So I'm thinking this is where they're expanding on the conversation. Um, and uh, the quote here says, in keeping with our theme of consequence, and unlike other games, race won't just be a matter of look with relatively inconsequential abilities tacked on. Instead, they integrate deeply into our class system, augmenting and changing the basic chassis. Is that right? Chassis? Chassis? Uh Provided by our eight core archetypes, our goal here is to create a system where an elven fighter feels different but serves the same role as a dwarven fighter. So what I'm hoping they mean by this is that if I do choose one that has uh, high, we'll just call it intellect again, and I choose a fighter, perhaps that somehow augments my fighter differently than it would my mage in a way that positively makes me unique and different from the next guy. I'm hoping that's what they mean by that. I feel like in my gut that's where they're going, because then that does change it. It's not just having a racial passive like we see in a lot of games, or just a racial ability like we see in other games, or just a stat increase like we see in other games. That could profoundly change a class archetype and sub-archetype based on what our race is in a way that makes it different than the next guy. I don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know enough about the combat system yet. I feel like once we get closer and see the combat system, which, if I'm not mistaken, August? Yep. The next live stream Steven said, and we didn't actually touch on our live stream at all, which, oops, but in that live stream last Monday, Steven had mentioned that coming up next month in August, we should see some sort of heads up on their combat system, which is super unpolished, by the way, right now, which is why they are showing it to us. But we should get to see a look at that. And I'm hoping that we'll get to see a significant enough look at that to come back to conversations such as this and say, oh, maybe I could theorize something here that might actually make some sense and come out to be true. Um, but kind of stopping at this point, what are some of your all's thoughts on potentially racial augment, stat growth, and seeding a race into what you choose to be your archetypes? I like the idea and um, in general of having some sort of racial progression that it being more than look. Um, I would hope that that min-max or meta situation gets evened out as you go through racial progression. So for example, if maybe at the start, right, you're dwarves are the quote-unquote best tank you could in theory come up with a counterpoint or something unique enough where it also makes sense to have an elven tank right or a human tank and it not your your choices you know making something you know different but not necessary and i'm let me kind of take a step back i'm not saying that they should make at some point, all choices are relevant, right? That we should homogenize everything. But what I don't, what I feel like we're going to get stuck into is if it's 
you know, that first choice is the most significant, you know, what race I choose, it's just going to end up, you know, becoming the meta. And I like the idea that they've brought up in a few streams of they want the meta to be kind of a moving target every, you know, as often as possible. So I'm hoping that based on your choices, you can create an effective insert class here with any combination that you want mm -hmm. um, in terms of race. So I'm hoping that that racial progression as you do racial quests and spend whatever, you know, you need to spend or gain in racial augmentation, that there's so many different ways to point and counterpoint a powerful character at the end of the day that you're not always going to say, oh, you're, you know, or somebody's not always going to critique you for your racial choice. Oh, man, you made a, you know, you made a elven fighter. Well, you should have made a dwarven fighter, for example. That, to me, just ribs me to no end in terms of games. I want to play what I want to play, and I want to find a path that's still useful and optimal and relevant, even though I'm making a choice maybe based on something that's not necessarily a min-max choice. It's like, oh, I really want to play this type of fighter race-wise because it fits in with the vision I have for this avatar. Right. I personally think we're, we may be taking a little bit too deep look into this at the moment and looking at things as you look at other games in the past. Um, so what I mean by that is, let's say that, yes, originally you may have a better stat and you want to mid-max, but let's say also a racial ability will get unlocked down the line as you're leveling or whatever to put towards something um, that's not just the aspect of the of the benefit to the aspect of the class itself. So, like, let's say, yes, you don't get that stat, but later on you may be able to um, unlock a different stat for your weapon because they're supposed to they're gonna they're gonna have weapon systems if uh, if I'm correct in saying that. Yes. Yeah, you're correct. They did mention weapon progression. Then also. It could also be the races could also work towards a specific religion that you're going after. So it may not just be within the classes and the, um, the races and them two intertwining. It may just not be them two relying on each other to bend max. It may also be, yes, you get this benefit initially, but also you may get this other benefit um, by picking this class for something else useful in the game as you progress. So that's kind of what I'm looking at when they say you you can choose either uh, either race with any class because every one of them eventually may be beneficial to you. So taking on to that point as well, so we discussed uh, we talked about stats a bit and everything, and I agree. Like I was saying earlier, we're just we we don't know yet, and we're gonna have to see what what information we get later to really get a definitive answer on some of these thoughts and questions we're posing. Uh, so moving on from that to racial weapons and armor. So racial weapons, armor, are not race lock, but we'll take on racial appearance. So I kind of hear here something similar to motifs in ESO, the styles of uh, the armors that we can potentially craft later, um, having potentially maybe a Tolnar, not, yeah, Tolnar um, 
possibly Empyrean armor, Kalor armor, Vec armor, all the different, maybe an armor style for each. And even potentially maybe as we, we go on later into, uh, you know, developing our, our, uh, our, um, our profession, so to speak, getting into a point where maybe uh, what makes us unique as a crafter of uh, weapons is we've learned along the way to potentially, uh, you know, cross Kalar and Vec styles or something like that, which would be really cool. It's just a little bit of an idea. There's nothing I know. I don't know whether that's going to happen, but tagging on to what Rebel said, nodes. So racial influence on nodes. Nodes have a base style template based on the race of the nodes primary founders and the nodes type. For example, forest, jungle, desert, um, or winter biome, something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. This includes the appearance of buildings and NPCs with a node. Applies to all nodes, including castle nodes. Racial appearance may change at each stage of node advancement based on the race that contributed the most to the node's development at that stage. Stephen says all nodes, whether they're associated by, sorry, with a castle or associated with normal node structure, has cultural influences that replicate over the buildings that are produced and the NPCs that are pre present. Um, there's an attrition mechanic that affects the experience and influence to curb a single race from dominating the entire, entire world. And so I'm thinking that potentially little, 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 little influences from each race might change, hopefully, the style of everything we see. So we might have a base influence style of architecture that is Empyrean and then, you know, based on, you know, maybe percentages of influence of nodes uh, by other races, those percentages factor into other elements or aesthetic components. Uh, maybe, for example, what I discuss this is, again, speculation and thoughts, but for example, someone who's an armor or a weaponsmith who's crafting a weapon is able to kind of combine the Kalar and the Vec kind of maybe styles or whatever. Maybe we'll kind of see that happen with the appearance of the style armor for NPCs and possibly even the architecture itself. Um, I don't know what to what level. Um, what are some of your thoughts on that? Maybe even possibly some of your, you know, positive, negative thoughts on that. Well, I mean, as far as like the the racial, I, um, I, I really games kind of mishmash different types of things. So you know, again, using WoW because that's kind of my my current uh, most time invested MMO. Uh, having you know, being able to kind of use quote unquote orc armor on humans and vice versa. I'm not sure I'm a fan of that because it kind of just you know, a lot of times people, you know, tend to come up with similar looks, right? Because they're able to use anything um, and build something. I do like the idea of race influencing it because it, to me, it gives some sort of symmetry to the look. And if it kind of doubles down on your choice for race to be able to do that, if you really like that culture, really want to identify with that race, it kind of keeps that, you know, whole. Um, for me, though, I guess it comes up with the same issue, right? People tend maybe to look this, you know, may look the same being from the same race. But I, I think if there's some, I don't know, I think it, it works better in my mind than being able to kind of pull from anything and everything. Mm -hmm. As far as the um, taking on the appearance of the racial architecture, et cetera, depending on that influence, I, I like the idea. I think it works. I'm not sure from a lore standpoint how that's going to work in node leveling. Right. 
from node to node and how often that would potentially happen. I just think it'll be weird maybe to go into a town one day and it has human architecture and then the next day it's kind of, you know, org mm -hmm. architecture. We just kind of feel a little off. I, I don't know how, as a node levels, how much significantly the map itself would change in the location of things potentially. So I'd have to see how they play that out um, before I could make a judgment there. Though I think it's a cool idea and concept, right? Whoever contributed the most, their quote unquote reward is getting architecture that you know has a influence from their culture. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of a little bit thrown for a loop on the whole culture contributing to a node type of situation, mostly because there's so many different aspects to the races that can contribute. Like, like they said, uh, races are going to have some if uh, are going to have um, maybe a better gathering um, type because okay, so better better gathering um, skills than uh, other races. So that uh, that obviously is going to contribute to a node a lot faster than, you know, let's say, or it depends also what's around the node. Um, so it's just so many different variables that it's hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around the direction um, that, you know, how the races are actually going to contribute to a node. Um, it's really just up to speculation at this point until they go deeper into the explanation of it. Um, so that's pretty much the only thing that I can really say about it this time. One thing I will make a point on, and um, maybe this is an option too, is if your found quote unquote founding race for a node is one culture, um, maybe it sticks with that until the node is destroyed. I know that you know may or may not work in terms of the vision of the devs, but that seems to me to make sense mm -hmm. that if you start off and it's a human you know, contributed node to move up to like level one or whatever it is, it stays as a human node until it's destroyed. I mean, assuming nodes rise and fall on a, you know, relatively regular basis, you could still gain the benefit of it looking like a race that built it versus maybe breaking the immersion a bit by having it change every time it moves up a rank or level. No. One, one last thing, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. One last thing that I do want to add though is that the thing about so we're talking about nodes and its progression the cool thing about this world is that there are other nodes around us so if things aren't working out to the way that we see fit as like let's say a community or a group or a guild or your friends for that matter you can always move to a different node it's a world of consequence things change things develop as the world grows so if you're not happy with the node you do have that option so, you know, I think uh, I think I agree with Daedalus here on this one. Uh, basically, I, I feel like, you know, if you do tear, like if, if a node is decayed or destroyed or something like that, it, it makes sense to, to rebuild and have new architecture. Um, a lot of a lot of in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm kind of wonder a bit, too, if, if Steven's influence from Civ, Civ games, Civilization games kind of plays into some of this idea of nodes or whatever. But um, and I'm sure it does. I don't see how it couldn't, but I know he, he likes that game. Uh, some of my thoughts though are like, you know, when you, when any empire falls or domain is conquered and destroyed, there are still remnants of what was there before. 
um, sometimes in the way of, you know, gateways that are the only thing left uh, of uh, empire that when the city burns or whatever, for example, and everything's down to ash, that gate, that gateway or that, uh, that opening into that, that territory or domain might stay. So I could see, I think it could be cool um, for the evolution of the game to where when anything like that were to happen, sure, you see a new city and it looks different because it's a new culture and a new uh, empire and everything, which would look drastically different. But still seeing how a lot of times, you know, and in, in, even in our own history, we where we've had these just monumentous, these just large uh, iconic symbols in history that we, we seem to hold on to as a world Stonehenge or um, the gates of Persepolis in, in, in uh, old Persia or um, the Roman Colosseum or something like that. Right. Like you see like things fall, but then things get rebuilt and you still see these remnants. So I think the idea of remnants of an older, an older pastime being around would be pretty cool. I think it would also contribute to the evolution of just the servers. I think that would be really cool. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do agree with you, Daedalus, as far as, you know, that, that makes sense to me to where they would change. I can see if there was a cultural influence on it as, you know, let's say it never gets broken down and it stays the same, that city's still there. Maybe seeing banners change, things like that. Um, when you go into buildings, maybe the paints changed or, you know, where there might have been a more of a panel appearance to a building while architecturally it's still the same aesthetically it changes. That makes a little bit mm -hmm. sense. Not drastically, just we're talking like, you know, wood to adobe kind of thing maybe or something like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I think what will be interesting, and again, I don't know how complicated it is yeah. to code, so, you know, take that with a pound of salt. Right. But. I think it would be interesting if they didn't want to necessarily wait until a node is destroyed to build that culture influence. It's just like yeah. you said, is maybe the old buildings kind of stay with whatever culture founded that level. Um, and then as it levels up, the newer buildings kind of take on the appearance of the new culture that influenced it. So in a way, you almost end up getting like, I don't know, an orc district versus a human district and yeah. kind of maybe then I think cities, et cetera, would feel more real, more alive, because you might have certain quarters of the town that might have influence from multiple cultures. So you might be able to, if humans contributed, you know, from no level zero to five, a totally human city, but you might also be able to get, you know, different tiers of cities that have different areas that are dynamic. So you might have like, you know, like I said, like a Dwarven quarter or something like that, because Dwarves really contributed to moving it from level two to level three. Yeah. Yeah. Quick question. Yeah. So, so we can have homes inside uh, metropolises, correct? Yes. Okay. So like, even now we have cosmetics out there for homes. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I think that, yes, there will be a citywide influence, like in general, but you also will have those different types of homes that people um, have unlocked. You also have, you know, different types of things to see um, that are not, that are more than just, you know, the original um, racial 
um, influence. Um, so I think that kind of that kind of mixture will make things a little bit unique. The different type of people you have inside the node and the city. Um, you also get that cultural difference because we have things such as cosmetic homes, and we'll have things such as um, you know we'll have all kinds of different types of um, homes available to us um, as things progress and as the game progresses. So we'll have those different skins. So I think I think the original influence of the races, be that as it may, you still will also have um, a unique metropolis full of people that have either achieved um, their way to a decent or cool looking home that also brings that character out. So I, I don't know if the race itself for the NPCs and for the actual city would be as dramatic as as it would with the influence of, you know, us as players would have on it. Yeah, but I guess the way I look at it is you're you're going to have a really space in a node. So, and, and again, I guess this is me, just my OCD kicking in. But if, like, I, again, saw, like, an entire city that had a certain look and feel change overnight to be a completely different look and feel due to racial contribution that to me would just not feel logical and again i mean this is a game right it's not real life but still i think it would be cool if they kind of did it in a more subtle way and maybe had sure. kind of a base base race that kind of started the node but if another race influenced it more other buildings would pop up so you'd still get that difference um and and to me it would feel more alive than it would if the entire like metropolis went from you know or from level four to five went from one culture to another it just feels like it would be too immersion breaking and again i mean i know most you know most gamers nowadays are like who cares is the game fun to play but yeah. that to me is another layer of fun that i would be like oh that'd be really cool just to say hey these newer buildings are influenced by the vec because mm -hmm. the vec really like stepped up the plate and moved us to a metropolis i don't know right like the most recent updates to this metropolis as you're touring our city over here to your left you'll see <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly right <laughs> Well, that might be profession, bust your profession. My <laughs> thing is, I think it will be a mix of both, both three or three or four races that may contribute. I don't think it's mm -hmm. going to be all necessarily mm -hmm. one. And that's yeah, that's, that's, that's one of my, my thought. Yeah, I'm yeah, kind of curious about that. I think it would be really cool to see the like the idea of districts. I, I see that as being fascinating because I can see that being a way that a metropolis changes over time, um, and where you had like. A, this district, the, uh, we'll call it the, um, I don't know, the, um, red light. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got like one district over here where this is like, you know, your blacksmiths and stuff and armor smiths, weapon smiths and stuff like that. I could see how like in a metropolis, I, you know, I just, this might maybe is like kind of that wow influence too, but I think of like Stormwind or whatever. Like in Stormwind, you got like the districts or whatever, and you go into like one district where it's got kind of a heavier influence of like the dwarves, and you got all like the smoke, more of a smoke, and then you got like that gnome portal thing to get to the, to the, uh, what is it called? The damn train or whatever. It's their little. Oh, yeah, the, the tram. Right, right tram, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I can see that. But anyway, we're uh, we're definitely up on time. We could have kept on going. I'm for, I know for sure. Um, I wanted to talk about racial quest, but I think I'm going to save that for another time uh, to pick up on. Um, gentlemen, I appreciate you hanging out today. Thank you for your time. To the viewers, definitely be on next week with some more. Probably try to pick up somewhere around where we left off here today. Continuing on talking about some of the different areas of the game that we haven't touched on yet as we're working our way towards Alpha 1. Um, gentlemen, would you like to let the viewers know where your domains are and where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, theashenherald.com, or sorry, ashenherald.com. Um, I'm also on YouTube under The Ashen Herald, and you can find me also on Twitter to check out you know, when I post my latest videos, and that's at The Ashen Herald. Thank you, Daedalus and Rebel. Yes, I am speckled number two. You can find me at <laughs> Rebels at uh, twitch.tv slash rebelstrike. And I will see you guys sometime whenever I'm on again. <laughs> Appreciate it. And I'm Seymourg. I've been your host. Thank you for hanging out. And until next time, I'll catch you on stream, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.